0: So this word love um, is, is a really crazy word. I mean, you know, if you think about I think it's Pat Benatar. I don't know if you 80s people, I think it was love is a battlefield. Is that right? Pat Benatar? Okay. Um, you, you can go to Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind and on and on and on. Um, there are lots of examples of how people talk about love And they can mean a whole lot of different things. And if we think about Jesus as the fulfillment of love, it is important for us to really, while we may recognize those other ways to look at love and define love, that if we call ourselves Christ followers, then we should be looking to not only Jesus, but the one who sent Him to help us understand and actually live What love is all about. If you look in the Old Testament, there's a couple of passages of scripture that um, if someone was to do a study, one of us, or someone who you went to and said, hey, what does the Old Testament say about love? There's a couple of scriptures that would pop out. And the first one would be one that you are perhaps familiar with. It's in Deuteronomy, and it's going to be on the screen. And I've actually put two verses here most people typically go to verse 5, but I want to look at verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now, we'll talk about that in the New Testament in a minute. This was known, quiz, anybody know what this was called? Yeah, the Shema or Shema. And it was something that every Jewish person, every Israelite, it, it was ingrained in you. It was not something you just chose once in a while. You memorized it. In fact, it was a part of deep part of your prayers. And it was something you repeated or recited maybe even multiple times a day. But Audrey, if you could go back to the verse before, the reason I wanted us to look at this verse today, because that second verse really is very dependent on this first verse. The culture in the Old Testament, not unlike today actually, is that people worshipped multiple gods, multiple gods, multiple things that they made God in their life. And so the first part of this statement is equally important to the second. And it was a commitment to who God was and who God was as your creator and who he was as how he defined not only love but pretty much everything else in life. So, hear, O Israel, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, was a declaration. And then to the next verse, verse 5, love the Lord, the one Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These verses shaped the very understanding of love in the Old Testament. They were good. They served a great purpose. They helped people understand what life was about. But one of the things that happened in that culture, because it was a culture very much based on law, obedience to the commandments, is that the understanding and even the translation of this into life became very much about what you do, what you do in terms of worshiping and honoring God. Nothing wrong with that. It's true of us today. But what was significant about it is it became very much an emphasis on things that were not bad, but it started to move away from the true understanding of what the people of God should be, and that is ones who worship with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. It very much became just an obedience to the law. The Old Testament also, in verse uh, in Leviticus nineteen eighteen, says this, which is another. Um, Very standard reference to love in the Old Testament. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But, what's it say? Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Again, this is not just about loving God, but it's about loving those around you. This was also something that was very much turned into very practical terms. Hey, if you love God, then you're going to love people. True, we read that in the Old Testament. But also what began to happen here, as people became less and less dependent on who God was in their life, and more dependent on themselves or kings or whoever, is that love began to take this turn, and it was all about obligation. All about obligation and just what we do because we have to do it. And what happened? What happened with the law? They began to turn from it. The sacrifices became greater and greater to make up for their sin, because what happened? Is they not only lost the heart. They also lost the true intention and meaning. Of what it means to love God. So when this baby came. There was so much hope. There was so much anticipation. You know Advent as we've talked about. Is this idea of coming. And. I would imagine if we talked to anybody in the times of the early New Testament, is that when they thought about Jesus, the Messiah that was to come as love, that wasn't a really far concept for them. But I think like most, is they had no idea it would look like what it ended up looking like. Because that's what we all have to embrace and begin to understand. We spend our lives, even after a commitment to Jesus Christ, we spend our lives trying to understand, what does that look like for me and how do I live that out? Foundational principles shape every one of it. We don't get the option to define it the way we want it. What we get the option to do is say, how does that look like in my life with the people I'm around, with the circumstances I have, with the gifts that I've been given? I want us to think for just a moment about the New Testament's understanding of love. It is shaped not only on some of the passages we looked at from the Old Testament, but it is defined in a way that never was before that, by a baby in a manger. We know there's more to it than just a baby in a manger. But when the early New Testament writers, and all of the New Testament writers wrote about love what they did is they looked, not in their American Standard Dictionary. No, what they did is they looked to Jesus. They looked to not only the experiences that some of the apostles walked with Jesus. They looked at His birth, His life, His death, His resurrection. And that became the definition of love. So my question for us today Have you received all of that? Now I know the church answer, well, yes, Pastor Dan, we have. I really want to challenge you on this today. I really want you to think about in your life, have you received those pieces of Jesus' work? Because if you have, or if you are working on that, if you are embracing that, what happens is that you are beginning to understand what love is about. I want to go to a section of scripture that you may or may not be familiar with, but it's one that talks about, um, uh, uses a word in Greek um, that is often defined specifically as the love of Jesus, and it's the word agape. Many of you likely have heard this word before. It's different than phileo or arrow, other types of love. Those are equally as valuable in places in life. But we have to understand that the true, the foundational, the basic definition of God's love starts with agape. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. And so if you have a copy of the scripture today, I want to invite you to turn to that. We're going to look at uh, about five verses here. 1 John chapter 4. And I want us to talk about it for just a couple of minutes. 1 John chapter 4. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. What I think is really beautiful about these passages of Scripture, this section of Scripture, is it basically gives us Jesus' life. In about five verses, we get Jesus' life, but we also get the definition of love. Love as we are to live. And it begins with the idea of Jesus' birth. Jesus is the fulfillment of love because He was sent from God. talked about this a little bit last week in talking about joy. But He is the fulfillment. Jesus is the fulfillment of love because His birth was the catalyst. The catalyst is that active agent that incites, that it it stirs and, and stimulates many things from it. Almost like a rock going into a pond that then has ripples throughout the pond. But his birth was the fulfillment of love. He was the fulfillment of love because he revealed the very source of love. Look at verse 7 through 9. Dear friends, let us love one another for love, what's it say? Comes from God. This is where we have to begin. If we're going to look at a baby in a manger, we have to look beyond the baby in a manger. We've talked about that. We have to believe about why He came, where, who did He come from. Now you've been in church, perhaps most of you, and you understand you have that. You've got the answers down. But I believe what's important for us today is to think about what it continues to say. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. You see, His birth starts to shape our understanding of love. It's the foundational piece. Because without the birth of Jesus Christ, all the other acts of love, all the other demonstrations and teachings of love by Jesus really will not happen if he first was not born as a baby. Now that sounds like an incredible insight, I know. But think about that. What we do with the very birth of Jesus will, will very much shape what we do with the cross of Jesus If this was any baby born at any time time by any mother and not supernatural, we have wrecked the very definition of love that God gave us in the birth. It's that important. Have you received the birth of Christ? I know we celebrate it. We're pretty good at that. Keep doing it. But have you received? Because his birth defines love in the revelation of God. We have to look for us. We have to look that manger and see not just a baby. We have to see God. Because God is the one who is the source of all love. That must shape our worldview. That must shape every understanding about how we have about love. It's not the latest the latest talk show, it's not whatever most of our friends tell us. No, it is God, His Word, that must build that foundation. And it's based on this presence. We talked about last week the very act of God bringing Jesus to this earth is is just an incredible gift of love like no other. He says, I'm going to come and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to allow my son to walk among you. Is your entire worldview based on God's love? That's a big question, I know. We spend our lives believing it. Perhaps knowing it in our mind is the easy part. It's it's living that out. Because there's days when we're around people, when we're with people, and even our spouses or our family, and we don't feel like loving like God loves, do we? We want to scream, we want to holler, whatever that may look like. Have you received the birth of Christ? Are you willing to commit and say, I want my worldview to be shaped on God's love that was ignited by the birth of a baby? So, we know this is not the only peace. In fact, we as Christians on this side of the resurrection is that, We look very differently at the manger than those in the early New Testament. They looked, and it was the fulfillment of the Messiah. And they didn't know, though, even though it fulfilled prophecy, they didn't really quite know how that was going to play out. But with the shepherds, with the, the wise men who came and visited, there was this incredible fulfillment, the baby is here. Now, even with that, they anticipated that he was going to rise up and be a king, and he was going to defeat Rome and all the evils of the world. But his life was very different. You know, sometimes we can be critical of those in the early New Testament, um, partially because we, we see much more of the story that they didn't. But what we can do sometimes in our lives, even as Christians who've walked with Jesus for a while, is we can begin to look at his life and say, well, I can't believe they thought he was going to be a king. I can't believe they they thought he was going to be this. But don't we do the same thing? Don't we try to put Jesus and define Jesus and his love in different ways than maybe that we really want? Because if we truly embrace his life, we have to look at some ways of loving that they're, they're, they're hard. They're just plain hard. They're painful. But if we want to understand love, we, we look at his birth, but then we look at his life. Look at 4, 9, verses, verse 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. and we're going to talk about the cross in a minute, but what this means is that love is more than just a nice little feely. I mean, most of the time, love for us is simply what we feel. It's simply an emotion that comes across us. And... At this time of the year, that can happen a lot because we've got people around us that perhaps we haven't seen for a while, extended family and friends, and we just love that. And it just wells up in us just these wonderful feelings. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we truly want to look at Jesus' life to help us understand love, it's more than a feeling. It involves our emotions, but it's a belief. And as Jesus demonstrated in his life, it was action. It's not taking Jesus and putting Jesus in our life where we want him or how we want him or when it's convenient for us to want him. No, it's always. Because he modeled the way in very practical terms. It's interesting to me because I know in my walk with Jesus over the last 20-some years is I tend to try to overcomplicate it. I tend to try to take a very basic instruction, even like loving your neighbor or being generous in your love and your giving to people. I can take that and overcomplicate it. I can make it sound like something so much different than what it is. And the reality is, is I'm avoiding it. (laughs) I'm avoiding it. You know, uh, the teacher of the law asked Jesus in Matthew 22, verse 36, said, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? So Jesus said, okay, I'll give it to you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So Deuteronomy is referencing back to Deuteronomy. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Sounds a whole lot like Leviticus, 1918. And the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is what's beautiful about Jesus' love. He didn't come to demolish everything that was set out in the Old Testament. He came to fulfill it. He came to complete it. God gave away and, and people's sin interrupted that way. And so Jesus says, the rules really haven't changed. You're to love God and you're to love others. And, of course, the Pharisees felt tricked as they always felt tricked. And, and, and so this tension between them arose, and they became Jesus' enemies. Jesus was speaking truth. And as they followed Jesus, this idea of agape in the Greek became much more full in everybody's eyes, the disciples' eyes, the masses of people. And it looked like things like this. It looked like actually not just saying something, but doing it. In other words, I can say this about love, but Jesus modeled for us in his life, so I'm going to do it. And so it's going to look like this. It's going to look like me seeking the well-being of not just myself, but others. It's about being other focused, others focused. It's about being generous in our love. It's about being practical and tangible. I mean, if you look throughout the Gospels, you see from every situation, you see Jesus living out love. He doesn't take time off. He doesn't say, no, nope, not going to do it there. No, he continues to model that and live that. And the, the more that they watch that, the more uncomfortable they get, the Pharisees. Because then he starts to say things like this. He says, don't expect anything returned. You know, there's there's a department store this holiday season. And you'll have to forgive me. I don't mean to ruin this for people. But I do things like this. And it drives my family nuts. But the slogan is, give joy, get joy. That's their sales slogan for the Christmas season. And every time I hear it, I cringe. Because what it sounds like is we'll buy somebody something and they'll buy you something too. And what a great Christmas it will be. You know, and I know it can be subtle and I'm not saying don't shop at that place. I bought stuff at that place, okay? But, but the point is, is those, those subtle messages begin to preach and teach and dwell in us uh, what becomes, can become a gospel or a law that is so far from the gospel and law and love of Jesus Christ, which is, don't expect a thing. Don't expect a thing from this world. I'll give you everything you need, Jesus says. And then he has the audacity to go a little bit further, and look at it in Luke 6.35. And it captures this idea of expecting nothing in return. But he says, but love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting anything to get, without, I'll get it right, without expecting to get anything back. Love your enemies. You mean if I don't, if I don't like them, I love them? Well, according to Jesus' definition in life and birth, yes, absolutely. This is hard, isn't it? This is where it gets difficult. And my question then becomes, so have you received that love? Because Let let me just remind us that we were enemies of God before accepting Jesus into our life. It's not a popular message today, I know. Can't we kind of like God? That's not what Scripture says. You can like him, but are we going to make our life commitment to him? Are we going to receive the definition of love from his life? And that means that you and I are going to walk out of this place and go be with family members or friends and back to work and those people we can't stand. those people that have caused us a lot of pain. We're going to try to do everything we can to love them. Now, maybe they're not going to let you love them. You love them as much as they'll let you love them, but you love them. That's what it means to receive Jesus' life of love. And I think what happens in this as we start to understand it, and I know because I've, I've sat there and I've heard sermons and I know what you're thinking, oh my gosh, I am so horrible in this. I don't even get close. It's hard, isn't it? It's incredibly difficult because we have this human fleshly side that continues, wants to love our way and not Jesus' way. We want to choose our birth instead of Jesus' birth. We want our worldview to be our worldview and not the worldview that God has through Jesus Christ. We keep choosing us. But this is where the next part of Jesus' life is so crucial to these first few parts. You can receive his birth and you can receive his life and say, ah, what a good man. What a godly man. What a perfect man. But until we understand what happened there and receive it, we will not understand love. We will not get it. Every other form of love will be shallow and we will continue to yearn for true love in our life. Because that love by his death was a game changer. It was a game changer. And no one saw it coming, even through the hints and the suggestions. We know what the apostles did. Oh no, you're not doing that. Come on. You've been with us for three years and we're just starting to get the hang of this. And you're leaving? And you're going to let them kill you? Yeah. Because love's not about me, Jesus said. Love's not about what's good for me, what's comfortable for for, for me. But I came to fulfill love. And so I'm going to die. Because that's going to demonstrate to you and everyone who ever lives what true love is. Self-sacrificing, other-focused, immensely generous love. Verse 10 This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Without the cross, we don't know how to love. We can call it, we can shape it in a whole lot of different ways, but until we know what the love of the cross looks like, we will never understand what it truly means to love God and love others in the way we were created to. There's an incredibly incredibly uh, large amount of imitations. And the people who choose those are living very lonely, broken lives. And we can't forget that we were there. And maybe you're still there. It's not a them versus us. We've all been there. No matter how long you've spent your life in a church you've always you've always at one point there has always been a point that you that you understood what the cross means because his death defines love even more fully and it defines it because it makes a way for us to love it's all what he did for us it's all in the atonement it's all in that forgiveness there has been no greater act by anybody else in your life than Jesus. You may have gotten or getting a really good gift this Christmas. <laughs> Wonderful. You may have someone bail, had someone bail you out of a problem in your life long ago. But none compares to what Jesus did on the cross. Amen? None. None. Glad I opened the door for amen because I hadn't gotten any yet. I was really wondering. But his death, it defines love for us. Because what it says is we can't do it. What it says is we mess it up, and what we need is an all-changing, ever-powerful Jesus Christ Messiah in our life, so that we can learn to love. Because without Him, we can't. We absolutely can't. And that that all that hope, peace, and joy stuff we've been talking about don't even imagine having that in your life. It will be empty. It will be false without receiving the cross. Have you received it? See, this is where the commitment goes up, doesn't it? A lot of people will receive the birth and even receive Jesus' life, but I have to follow one who died willingly by humbling himself so that I could be forgiven and I could be restored and reconnected to the very one who taught love and defined love in God? Yeah. It feels counterintuitive, I know. Romans 5.8, you likely know this verse. We talk about it a lot. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How do you live the death of Christ in you every day? It's largely shown by humility. But it's this dependence on God. Paul talks about that it's that dependence and humility that sacrificial and self-giving that's where the love of jesus on the cross distinguishes itself from everything else there's no greater sacrifice than what jesus did for you and me but what a what an understanding of love think about those people in your life those forgotten ones those people that are the farthest from you but they are still a part of your life And no one, perhaps they've never seen that sacrifice played out in a human way. Someone loving someone for no other reason except for Jesus loved them. Have you received Jesus' death? This final piece. You know, we could talk about His birth, His life, and His death, and that's some good stuff. But I think this last piece is what gives us the understanding of the power of the love of God. It's the fact that Jesus didn't stay in the tomb. It's the fact that Jesus did not remain on the cross. His resurrection. We have to understand love in terms of birth, life, death, and resurrection. Because if he stayed in the grave, he's no different than any other man. But out of the grave, it is the power of God that rose him from the dead. We need that. Oh, man, do we need that. More than ever, we need that. Verse 11 and 12. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love God one another no one has ever seen God but if we love one another God lives in us and his love is made complete in us you know after Easter morning Jesus and then his followers what did they claim they claimed it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed when Jesus died and rose again That's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in us. It is that same spirit, as Scripture says, that rose Jesus from the dead that lives in you. And so all those people that you think, there is no way I'm loving them. There is no way, right? In yourself, you can't. But the fulfillment of love in Jesus says, I'm going to give you that very same power that rose me out of the grave. You are going to have that in you by my spirit when you receive my resurrection. Yeah, the commitment gets greater. It builds. But his resurrection defines love because it gives us the power to love. This is the most challenging one for me. Perhaps for you, because what I want to do is I want to do it in all the ways that I do it. I want to love somebody in all the ways that, that I can figure it out. And even challenging myself, okay, I'm going to love them. I've never been able to, but I'm going to love them. Stop. Jesus already did the work. And if I continue to rely on myself to love other people, I'm not receiving the resurrection as a way to love. Brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, moms, dads, children. It applies everywhere. God's definition of love. It's called agape. And there's nothing like it. There will never be anything like it. Except as we see in Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection. Have you received it? Have you received it? You can know about it. You can pretend to believe it. But if it has not rocked your soul, you still don't understand it. You see, because it's the very experience of salvation in Jesus Christ... That fulfills that out for us. You know, I grew up as a kid, in and out of church a little bit, a family that loved me dearly, so many people in my life that loved me. I was a pretty popular kid, I was loved by people. But I remember when I kneeled and prayed and asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I never have, and never since. Have experienced a love like that. Never. But here's what I love. My relationship with my wife. Since accepting Jesus 22 years ago. Is richer than ever. Because now she and I. Continuing to learn how to love each other. Not the way that Dan and Susan know how to love each other. But the way God loves. You have those relationships where that's existent. But there's somewhere it's not. And I beg of you to look at the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus and allow it, allow it to play a part in every one of those relationships. It's a decision to trust. And every celebration you have this time of year will be even greater. Every smile, every hug, every gift will go back. To what you've received from Jesus Christ. That's the fulfillment of joy. We're gonna close out in worship today, and the altar, as always, is open. And it may not feel like the right time to go and pray, it is the right time to pray. Perhaps you're hesitant in your life to love the way God loved with someone then I encourage you to come and just kneel before God and say, God, help me. If you'd like to pray with somebody, we'd be glad to pray with you. If you'd rather have some time between you and the Lord, then that's perfectly okay. But I'll also say this. Your soul yearns for the love of God. And I pray that if you've never received, that you would make today the day. You'll never, ever, Get over it. Let's pray. God, what a story. What truth that you've given us in the birth and life and death and resurrection of your son Jesus. May Jesus' person and work be our definition of love. And may it bring us abounding joy and peace and hope, as only it can. So God, as we close in worship today, hear our prayers, hear our worship. And Lord, may it not only be pleasing to you, but may it continue to shape your love in us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.